Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 175 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on? Very interesting weekend mm-hmm. in all the matches. We saw a lot of heavy hitters go down. Some fortunate survivors that profited off it, or maybe not profited, but just uh, got an extra boost up the table. Yep. And we had a lot more of the headlines going to things off the pitch. Yeah. Uh, I guess starting off with the the whole Man City drama, we also had Leeds uh, yesterday morning. As of recording this, Jesse Marsh was sacked as manager of Leeds. So they decided to go in a different direction after their influx of Americans. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with Marsh. I don't, I'm not sure. And like, this is pretty cut and dry. I think both of us are kind of going to be in the same boat here, but. I don't understand the point of letting a manager direct transfers for essentially two windows or a window and a half and then giving him one game with the new target that he wanted, not even starting this player who is surely going to change the way they play. They give him 30 minutes. They give Weston McKinney and then Marsh is sacked and, the next day, two days later, like it just doesn't. The following day, yeah, the next morning. Uh, I just don't understand it, and maybe you know, obviously we don't know internally what's going on at Leeds, but this just seems like such an insane thing to do, especially because they gave Bielsa such a long leash last season with all of the disaster that in you know followed his after his first season that second season it was such a disaster and then marsh who has a pretty good track record i would say with the few clubs that he's been at they just they sack him and and now obviously he's without a job and then leads are without direction at this point because they're not bielsa's not coming back which i saw that yesterday and now they're gonna have to go in for like you know, a, a serious manager, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. So, yeah, I, from what I've been hearing, they're going more towards of Southampton's route. They're going to take somebody from the championship, and I think the lead candidate is the current West Brom manager yeah. that I've been hearing as of lately. I think they they tried to get uh, there was talks of Raul coming from like a Real Madrid legend. He declined, and then there's a handful of other candidates too, but. The West Brom guys, the head, and we'll get more into the lead situation when we talk about their match with Forrest uh, that finished on Sunday. But, I mean, this, the, this, the form speaks for itself on the table. I mean, they've only won two games out of their last 17 in the league. So yeah, it, w- it was going to come sooner or later. I mean, and every other team around them, or I should say every team below them in the relegation zone has already changed managers. So they thought it deemed fit to do that too but just the timing seems weird right after the window shut yeah it just seems it just seems like uh an over uh, maybe not an overreaction or overcorrection but it just seems like they're really you know taking a shot in the dark now opting to go for a new manager when you're you're in the depths of the table and you had a, a coach that was trying to implement a system i don't know i know the Leeds fans weren't weren't completely sold on him even from the start but i don't 
I don't think it's going to wind up uh, paying any sort of substantial dividends for them this season. It, it's very possible that they go down, especially with the club in complete turmoil now with being managerless. Yeah, it's no different than last year. So yeah. I guess diving into the Man City talks with oh. the financial fair play, this being uh, around the Premier League, we know uh, a few years ago UEFA, UEFA did their own investigation on Man City and they were given a two-year ban from the Champions League or UEFA competitions, and that was later uh, revoked. Uh, so now this is a Premier League thing, from what I've been hearing. it's There's no time restraints, so they that's why they've been going as far as back as 2009 up to 2018, so that's a long time span. There was around the area of 115 total... Um, violations. Violations, <laughs> just around the same number as parlays from Tony. Yep. So or Tony. So it's it's interesting. The whole the whole thing is wild. There's comments from Pep uh saying from the past that um if there were the club lied to him about anything he would walk out the next day. I don't know if he'll stick by that. Um I guess before we get into specific details and what the repercussions could turn out to be. What's your whole stance behind this? Uh, unfortunately, we've seen what this sort of thing leads to before, right? We've seen, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Look at the sanctions that are going to be imposed. And then typically it winds with, or winds up with fines, a slap on the wrist, don't do it again, then they do it again. Um, Chelsea come to mind. City in the past come to mind. This sort of thing happens when you have egregiously... Uh, wealthy owners in in the you know in the room it's just as much as i wish this wasn't the case this is how it is um and like what comes to mind immediately is the fact that chelsea just spent five four hundred however many million it wasn't four five hundred million but we spent you know, a total of i think around a billion dollars yeah in the past in the what two, two windows two windows yeah. right so like how is that not against financial fair play yeah and i know it like it takes so much time for these violations to come under the microscope now like we're seeing city all the way back to 2009 now they're under the microscope uh, what what can the prem possibly do are they going to revoke the four three or four championships that they've won uh, in that amount of time, I don't personally think so because then you have to posthumously isn't the word, but um, that's what I'm going to use. Or proactively, retroactively is the one uh, award Premier League titles to the past however many teams who were in second. And then the next thing that comes to mind is how does this affect Arsenal right now? Because they're obviously in first place. If City are awarded. A points deduction, how many points is it going to be? Is it even going to be that? Probably not. So I'm I'm pretty riled up about the whole thing because it it is going to have a huge effect on English football and world football because City have been present in the Champions League and present in the Premier League for the past, you know, essentially it's been longer than a decade now. 2009 was the first year that they won. Aguero was there back then. That's 14 years ago. Um, this is this is a, a really big story, but I can't help but feel that they're just going to get a slap on the wrist. Yeah, and for those listening that aren't too far 
don't too, don't have too much knowledge behind financial fair play. I mean, that was me it's too. It's a sham. The basics, the basis behind it is you are spending more money than your the club is making in revenue. So that's how they're they're talking about. There were talks of um, the club getting hidden funds uh, wired to bank accounts from their sponsors and ownership groups, and they're doing fantasy accounting to cover it up and change the numbers in a way to where it makes sense. So if you link it to the Chelsea thing, I don't know if we make $600 million in revenue a year that could counterbalance all that spending. I mean, you could, you have to take into account the TV money, the where we place in the league, Champions League money, uh, if we win any domestic cups, and then obviously merchandise and all that. So there's a lot that goes into it and that makes sense why it takes so long to uncover these things and to get sources and to verify these things. So it's going to be a long process. We're not going to know the answers in the next coming weeks. Probably won't figure it out until the end of the year. But you, when you're talking about point deductions and going back to prior years, the six times they've won the league in, the, in those years, three would have been awarded to Manchester United yeah. and three would have been awarded to Liverpool. Yeah. So uh, at this point, I'm hoping that they don't get the titles taken away because that, yeah. that would be, that would be truly catastrophic. Yeah. So, I mean, and you think about just the, the players they brought in, if the money doesn't go that in that way, those players could have ended up somewhere else and could have affected another club's success. So it's it's a it's a butterfly effect type thing. There's too many things to kind of make reparations for, and if they do any type of point deduction, it would be in this current year, similar to what we're seeing with Juventus and the Italian league. They lost 15 points. Uh, different different uh, circumstances to why they're under investigation to Man City, but at the worst case scenario, they're saying is an expulsion of the club. So which would mean they would most likely get relegated. It's what do, you, what do you what do you think is that the worst outcome and how likely do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean if, it is. If the everything worst. comes out true, it is the worst outcome because even if they were able to retain all of their players, which they, I guess they would be able to do because of private, like you know, it's it's private equity fund that owns the company that owns the the football club. It is possible that they'd be able to retain everybody, pay them the same salaries, but they'd still be taking a huge hit in terms of revenue. And I don't know if the the fund will be willing to do that. That's like the first thing you have to consider. <clears throat> the How many goals is Erling Holland bagging? Yeah, exactly. Well, like I have enjoyed the memes, I will say, about, you know, we'll see if Erling Holland can do it on a cold, rainy night in Stoke. Like th- that is that is funny. It does make me chuckle, but... um you also have to consider the fact that they could be demoted all the way down to non-league football. Then they have to ascend the tiers, and you could only ascend one tier a year. So if that were to happen, and obviously this is a hypothetical, and it is the truly worst-case scenario, and that's not going to happen, but they would have to ascend out of non-league and then all the way up through EFL 4 to 3 to 2, to one and then back to the prem so that's what five elevations yeah the club would be destroyed that would be five years that city would have to essentially pay all of their players from from the private you know revenue streams what wherever else the money comes from and that's 
I don't know, man. I mean, the Saudis and the, the Abu Dhabi and all of that, like, they have a lot of money, but I'm not sure they'd be willing to part with billions and billions and billions of dollars yeah, over the, the course of the next five years. Yeah, but just because they have all that money doesn't mean they can spend it. it yeah, again, of course. Goes back uh, yeah. to their total revenue behind it. And, like, there they wouldn't have the TV money and all that and all the european like champions league money at all mm -hmm. so they their their spending budget would be smaller their wages would have to decrease all those players would leave 100 percent. even if they go down to the championship they would lose a, quite a few of the players they have this year mm -hmm. but I, I i agree i think it's going to turn out to be just a slap in the wrist because it's i i see this equivalent to college football with how recruitment goes yeah, it's uh, all fake. It's bullshit. NIL is gone. There's, you know, all the big boys are doing it. Uh, Chelsea, I hand up. You, you know, they've done this. I mean, it's clear as day. It's only a matter of time until something comes up with them. Man United, I'm sure, in the past. So, I think all the big clubs are worried. Even Everton, Everton are spending a shit ton of money for for what they're worth. And I mean, their spending has been smart, but. They're still spending all this money that people aren't sure where it comes from. So there's a lot of hypotheticals, and we're we're talking talking out of our ass, really. And I mean, it would be interesting to see if something like that happened. But I don't know. It's it's a lot of a lot of crazy talk right now that people are just kind of blowing out of the water. We'll see what what the the, the legal side of it ends out to be. Yeah, I don't it's it's going to be something that we absolutely will be keeping our eyes on, but I once again do not have uh extremely high hopes for for a positive outcome for the rest of the league, which is all of us really. Because City don't have fans as far as I know. Um okay, I guess now that we've sort of gone over housekeeping and the disaster that's occurring in the league right now, we'll we'll jump into games. Um Fortuitously, it will hand off to Matt, who will cover Chelsea Fulham, and then I'll go right into Everton Arsenal, regrettably. Yeah, two two disappointing results here for both of us. But yeah, Chelsea nil nil draw with Fulham. The my hero Tim Ream just a little dagger in the side again. Played a phenomenal game. Fulham overall are a really tough side to play, even after the short time between these two matches we've had with them they still looked very strong uh, a lot of cards handed out here on the Fulham side there were five yellows on their end so we tried our best we came out with a lot of the new signings in there uh Mudrik well just Mudrik and Fernandez obviously Patty Ashiel in there too Enzo Fernandez, what would you say on his debut? Quick note before I get more into it, what do you think of his performance? I think he was the shining spot for Chelsea. I mean, he looked really good in a deep-lying role. That's not really... I thought he maybe he'd play a little bit higher up the pitch, but I think where he was and, and with the very limited amount of instruction he's received so far, uh, that he looked really good. I I am of the opinion that he will be worth every single cent of the 120 mil that you guys paid for him. Or it was more than that, but uh, yeah, I I think he was the shining spot for Chelsea. I think he looked good uh, outside of the defense. Buddy Ashiel continues to impress, uh, but yeah, I I really do think that Enzo Fernandez is a player who, despite really not <laughs> having much on his CV. Uh, is going to have a, a very, very good career as long as you know there's not outside obstacles stopping it. Yeah, once we can get 
Uh, and Golo Kante, I'm sure Zakaria in there. Mm -hmm. Guys that could hold in that sixth role, push him up to one of those eight roles. I think we'll see a lot a bigger difference going forward. Even in this game, he created one or two chances, and he almost had an opportunity to score the winner from outside the box. Would have, would have blown the roof off the place. Um, Mason Mount and Connor Gallagher were alongside him in the more advanced roles, both kind of disappointing Mason Mount seems like he needs to have a holiday for a, a couple of weeks to rest. Um, not sure what the the what's going on in that locker room with certain players. Maybe they're still tired from the World Cup. Um, they've just had a long year. Havertz missed uh, a pair of opportunities here. Uh, one whipped in from Mount, just a big toenail deflection from Tim Ream that may through may have thrown him off a bit, but he shouldn't have skied it over the bar by six feet. So, um, and then the one star as well, we got Reese James in there. He came back, played 60 minutes. He's getting his legs under. Chilwell made appearance. Uh, Ziek, after the failed move to PSG, got to play here. Maybe due to other players not being fully fit or up to speed with Graham Potter's system. So he's just filling in for the time being. Didn't really make too much of an impact. Mudrik came out after 45 minutes. He's they sick. said he had he had a bug or something. So whether that's a cover up or not, who knows? But he had I think 19 touches total in the first half that he played, and did absolutely nothing. So Kepa did all right. Betty Shield, Tiago Silva always locked down. Fulham couldn't really create the best of opportunities like they did in the previous match where they beat us. So. Uh, if we're just taking this game alone, a one time, a one match, not looking at the table or anything, I'd be, I'm happy with a draw here with how Fulham have been this year and how strong they are, believing in their system and just the players are always playing every single game. This is their number, uh, this is their top 11. They play every game. So I will take the point, but we've only earned nine points in our last eight games, which is not uh, equivalent to where we want to be. So. No. It's a it's a conflict of where we want to be versus what we actually are, and what we actually are is a mid-table team with a very fragile squad coming back from a lot of injuries. So we're we're slowly making our way back, and hopefully, when we're fully fit, that's when we can truly see if Graham Potter can figure out the best of this team, and we'll go from there. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, excuse me. Um, I was yawning because this game was so boring. <clears throat> it's yeah. a true wait and see. It it really is. You have to wait um for everybody to be available for selection to see if City or to see if Chelsea are going to be able to get anything out of it this season. As I've said many many times already, uh, throughout this year is a total wash. It is what it is. You guys got a new owner. Yeah. Um, you guys got a new manager. The system takes time to instill. It takes time to build a winning culture which fun fact Todd Bowley has hired a um hired somebody he's put somebody on the payroll no surprise like yeah. an advisor to um instill a winning culture at Chelsea Football Club which it's like a vibes coach or something is very interesting to me yeah uh, yeah a vibes coach. Used, to, used to be on the staff of the New Zealand rugby team right that's oh, true all blacks yeah, or something. The all blacks, yep and obviously yeah. they are a world power in rugby so yeah. um 
those guys are also the hardest motherfuckers on the planet. So yeah, I mean, so. it's it's uh, it's a bit different. You're dealing with um, somewhat fragile-minded uh, football players from across the globe, who many have been spoiled, many haven't. But it's it's a bit different. You have a, a collection of, of folks that you need to band together. That's that's going to be a extremely tall task i hope that person is being compensated fairly for his or her work um but yeah i don't know i just think it's going to take time for chelsea and then fulham on the like the other hand they they just fight you know they are outperforming their their metrics they're outperforming their expectations uh and i think we just we do have to give fulham a hand for for how well they've faced adversity this season and just kept their heads up and, and fought through it no matter how uh, ugly it may be sometimes <clears throat> yeah they're not in the best of form only getting one point in their last three so they're going through a little bit of trouble right there with marco silva yeah for sure um okay let's move on to everton versus arsenal i mean this wow. i believe i mentioned last week that it was possible that they would get in an, an interesting result with uh with sean dyche under under the helm but i settled on the fact that this would be a battering from arsenal and i could not have been more wrong this is the sort of performance that makes me quiver a little bit because i've seen this before and i've seen arsenal actually lose to everton many times what feels like many times i don't know the number of games that we've lost to them but a 3-2 loss to them last year uh at the the dying embers of the game comes to mind and I knew after the first 45 that this game would be decided by one cheesy goal I thought maybe it would come from Arsenal and it just was not the case um Sean Dyche another footballing terrorist I would say for sure uh sent them out there in a 4-5-1 with deep lying midfielders I, I knew that it was not going to be a day where Arsenal just carved them apart, and it wasn't. We had a really, really tough time breaking them down. We only had three shots on target. We didn't have a lot of really good chances. We held the ball well, but that's just not going to be enough to to break a team down that are essentially playing with nine defenders in the box when you're on the uh, when you're on the counter. And and then it came uh, a corner goal from from James Tarkowski. It it got through and and you know he he finished it. I have to give credit to Everton. This is different than they've played all season long. This is how they're going to line up every single week against every single opponent. That's what you can expect from Sean Dyche. It's what he did at Burnley. It's what he's done everywhere he's ever coached. And Arsenal were not able to beat them. So. Three points to Everton. It's a huge three points. They also got a nil-nil draw against Liverpool this season and then a 1-1 draw against City. So they've taken five points uh, off of big six clubs, and this three points by far is their most important win of the season. Yeah, Arsenal, their last five trips to Everton in the league, they've only earned one point. So this is a prime bogey team, and we know that Burnley is your personal bogey team when it comes to betting and all sorts of things. So new manager comes in, formerly a Burnley, assist on the day, or former Burnley player, goal scorer, former Burnley player. How does that make you feel? Second. Truly second. Like like 
it just happened exactly as it, as it was supposed to happen. I was I was so ill when that happened. I woke yeah. up early to watch the game before I worked for twelve hours, and I was like, "Why? Why did why <laughs> did this have to happen today?" It was just so painful. You had to work a double that day. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so all you could think the, about. The night before, I wore my Arsenal hat and and at work. Yeah, at work and oh, a no. a um a guy that always comes in. He's an old fella. <clears throat> he, I don't. He used to work for maybe the Philadelphia, you know, one of the papers in Philadelphia. It was a sports writer, and okay. he's a he's a Chelsea fan. Um, and he asked me, you know, how did Chelsea play? Because they played Friday, right? Yeah, the day before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he asked me how they played. I watched the whole game, and I was like, eh, you know, they looked they looked pretty uh, pedestrian. They they had stretches where they looked good, but. He's like, oh yeah, I, I think Arsenal might come out like that tomorrow. And I said, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. They haven't oh, done that. No. They have no. They haven't done that at all this season. And we always shoot the shit, you know. Um. And he's like, no, I just have a feeling about it. And I was like, okay, Paul, whatever you say. And then <laughs> he came in the next morning. I they live where I work, and he's like, oh, I told you. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and and that was it. But I just he was right. I mean, he's been watching the game longer than me, I guess, but I have I just I had no words. I was so sick to my stomach the rest of the day. I was hoping you were going to say that uh that the Everton guy that you talked about a couple weeks ago. No, that guy was a that guy was a coasty. He's in the Coast okay. Guard. He's probably across the fucking country by now already. Yeah. But speaking for Arsenal, yeah, this was just an off day. It just didn't yeah. seem like anything was working. Odegaard, definitely one of his worst games. Nothing nothing worked. We saw Jorginho come in the 60th minute, did what he does best, just he's there. Um, and yeah, I mean, full credit to Everton. We saw, I, I watched their, like on their YouTube page, they do like the weekly recaps of training and stuff. It was Sean Dyche's first day specifically, and they go out there and they do preseason type stuff. They did the bleep test or for grow when we grew up, it was more commonly known as the pacer test. So, I mean, that is painful as a professional athlete. Just watching that was hard to watch. I think the last, I think the last four guys standing did like extremely well, but afterwards guys are yakking and just touched over. And I mean, it's just a full blown preseason sesh in the middle of February. I mean, it's yep. ridiculous, and he's out there in a t-shirt and shorts, that old bastard. I mean, this guy is old school. He plays this four-five-one, four-four-one-one, however you want to look at it, four-four-two, and they don't. He doesn't change his tactics for anybody, whether it's this Arsenal team or or Bournemouth. They play the exact same way. Yep, just hardcore, hard-nosed. They'll they'll run after you every single play. They're absolute dogs and. For a guy like Dwight McNeil that came in this summer. Yeah, he looked uh, good. I mean, he hardly even played ever because we saw Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray start right off the gate, did well. And we saw him get get sprinkled in here and there. But this, I mean, now that Sean Dice is here, I mean, I think he's a normal starter. Yeah. Uh, now that Anthony Gordon's gone. So we'll see Gray get a mixture of in there uh, because they didn't bring anybody new in in the winter. Nobody wanted to come. They said that. They had about 12 to 14 targets as a striker, and nobody wanted to come. The names you had, 
uh, Mitchie Batchwai, Olivier Giroux. Um, yeah, so disrespectful. So disrespectful <laughs> to Giroux to ask him to come dig them out of the fucking gutter. Yeah, well, I mean, now Milan's if he had scored, I actually would have been on the side of a bridge. Yeah, that would have been tough. That's one thing if he scores for Chelsea, but I mean, Everton, man. Yeah, I know. I would yeah, wanted to die. Yeah, it was an extremely long list of, of players that did not want to come into this, and rightfully so. It makes sense. They're mm-hmm. in a dire position. But yeah, I mean, this win meant everything. And, and Sean Dyche after the game, it didn't seem like it was any big deal. It's like it's just the start. We're not out of it yet. They're still in 18th uh, due to goal difference. And. Now they go into a game against Liverpool where they're in absolutely horrendous form. They they their top goal scorer since the World Cup break is Valt Vase uh for Leicester. He's leading the team in goals. So this couldn't be any worse of a situation for Liverpool to go into and for Everton, their hopes are probably gonna be extremely high. So I have no idea when we get to that point what I'm gonna do, but for this situation, beating the league leaders is something special. Yeah, absolutely. We move on to Manchester United, who probably benefited the most from this weekend, come all the results. Uh, They win their game 2-1 against Crystal Palace, not in a fully clean sense, because Casemiro got a VAR red card uh, at the end of the game, or in the 70th minute. So that'll be a topic of itself when we get to it. But for the game itself... In the fifth minute, there was a handball Vard on Will Hughes. Penalty for Bruno Fernandez. He tucks away, uh, calms the nerves at Old Trafford. So they were cruising for the rest of the first half. Uh, Garnacho makes an appearance in the 59th for Veghorst, who has started almost every single game since he's been here. Uh, and then Marcus Rashford doubles the lead. I think scoring his 10th goal in the on the year in the Prem. So... And then there's a whole bust up in the 70th minute. We get to, it was Anthony who was getting touched here and there, fouled, and he kind of over-exaggerated a bit. And then I think it was, I think it was Tyreek Mitchell or Jeffrey Schlupp. The ball was going out of bounds. And there's a bit of a drop-off similar to how in some college basketball uh, stadiums, there's a a drop-off to the bench area. So. He gets Anthony gets nudged off the field and could have seriously injured himself into the boards. I wish he would have. <laughs> There's a whole melee of players and off to the side. Uh, after VAR came in and reviewed the tape, they caught Casemiro pulling Will Hughes away from the situation, but not in a conventional sense. He has both hands on, around Will Hughes' throat. Was not There was no malice behind it. There was no force. It was just... Oh, an odd way to pull him out of there and I think after a few seconds Casemiro notices what he's doing and lets go and Will Hughes is completely fine and is is afterwards laughing about it or whatever um, so they, they give Casemiro straight red so he's going to miss the next three games immediately after coming off a ban yeah. missing the Arsenal game so this is really bad for them it's uh, and then Jeffrey Slup gets an, a a goal in the 76th minute, making it squeaky bum time, just like the last time these teams met. Um, so it, it ended 2-1, but what, is this, what does this red card do to United, and what do you think about the decision overall with how VAR uh, ended up deeming that whole situation? Did the ref do a decent... Did the refs 
end up doing the right thing or maybe would you have seen it be done differently it is tough um I think any time a player puts their hands around another player's neck, it's got to be a straight red. I know that there wasn't malice or, or anything like that, but the optics of it would would deem a straight red. And yeah. the picture, like, the picture is fucking great, by the way. It's so good. It looks like WWE SummerSlam. Like, he's about to just pick him up and choke slam him. Um, yeah. But I also really like Casemiro, and I know like he's just a really good player. He's he's a hard bastard, and he's he's very very good for United, and it's part of the reason that they've been as good as they've been since he's come in. Obviously, the evolution of Rashford back into what we knew he could be has been instrumental as well. But a lot of this does, for me, come down to Casemiro. I think a, def- a strong defensive midfielder. Who knows who who's technically gifted as well as just intellectually there um is important in every team and it's very important in in United's team because they're a bit shaky at times at the back um I think since Casemiro has come in and I'll get to you know the repercussions but I think since Casemiro has come in it's allowed the rest of the defense more time to actually plan the defending that they have to do. Their positioning is much better. Martinez is obviously a very talented central defender. And Varane, of course, you know, we, we know all of the accomplishments he has. But, um, you know, the the backs even. Juan Basaka has been good. And, and Luke Shaw has been really good. So I just think having Casemiro there as a second line of defense, essentially another center back playing behind them, but also getting forward into the attack, or in front of them rather, uh, has just allowed the defense to to really sort of evolve and, and get involved in um, Ten Hag's system. Now, being without him, they go back to the suspect midfield United that we know and love. They are without Erickson. They are without Casemiro now for three games. They're left with Fred and McTominay, which is just not good enough. Sabitzer. Unless they're going to play Sabitzer, but we don't, we don't necessarily know if a week is going to be enough for him to jump right into that lineup and be amazing. Uh, I also don't know how he's going to play right away in the system. So, you know, he could play Malassi in there too. I think Malassi has played in there for one or two games. Yeah, he could, but don't you don't, wouldn't you agree that that's a huge, no matter how well he plays, wouldn't you agree? That's a huge downgrade over Casemiro. Oh yeah. No matter who they put in there, it's a massive difference. They were, they were fortunate. They were, in that Arsenal game, the way they were without him. So now it's a three game sentence yep. twice against Leeds. And the third is going to be against just want to double check that twice against Leeds. And the third is going to be against Leicester. So, so kind of fortunate actually that it happened at this point in the season, they have two, you know, they play a relegation side twice. And then yeah. a team that isn't far from the drop the other time. Yeah, so and then they have the champ they have the Europa League coming up where they have to play Barcelona twice. So yeah, well I think that I think they're gonna get banged the fuck out regardless of who plays in that one, but because Barcelona are just know. Barcelona they are, are soaring right now. They're so good. Yeah, they're eight points clear in La Liga and they're playing very well, but we'll see, depending on how Lewandowski's form is. Mm-hmm. And uh we've we as soon as we ended recording last week, the announcement came out that Varane retired from international ball. That's right. So he's not gonna be playing for France anymore. He's all in on the club, so you don't have to worry about him going out and getting injured, which is a, a bonus if you're a United fan. So yeah. 
Certainly. Um, I guess real quick, what's your take on Palace? They're, they haven't won a game in their last five, only picking yeah. up two draws, and it's not looking the best for them right now. I, I don't even think they're out of the woods for a potential relegation battle if this keeps up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very fair shout. They're only on 24 points. They're like, you know, six points clear of the drop. What is that? Everton could win two games the next two fixtures. It's totally yeah, possible. One or, two, one or two losses to the wrong teams, and you're in there. Yeah, and you're down. You're right in 16-17 where, where West Ham and Leeds are. So I agree. Uh, I think um, things are, are certainly shaky there right now. It's not going to be an easy end to the season. They're probably really going to have to pull something out. Uh this, I feel like, was the year that maybe we'd see Palace jump up into 10 or 11, and they haven't quite done that. They're in 12 right now, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not a convincing 12th. Uh, they're right tied with 13 and only three points ahead of 14. So they could relinquish this, this little cushion at essentially any point over the next two or three weeks, and we could see them go all the way down to 17th. I, I just don't, I don't personally see um palace like stringing together five you know five wins or or five games where you don't have a loss it's just probably not going to happen i still don't think you can blame them uh they aren't necessarily bringing in the most uh talent you you could uh think of they they definitely need an injection in terms of money i don't know when that's going to come but Palace needs to make more signings. They need to improve uh, on that end because their farm system's pretty much done everything it's been able to do. They have as a, um, they have a lease, you know, guys that are really young, and I, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure if, um, what's his name? Not Zaha, the other one. The one Edward. they bought from Celtic, Odson Edward. I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be your long-term solution at striker. In fact, he doesn't play every game really so it's just it's it's tough and they're without Zaha right now which is always a challenge and Eze and Mateta come on at half sometimes but they just I think they need a bit more direction and the defense has been okay 2-1 to United is not a bad result by any stretch but uh they they did they had a chance to get a point here and they they weren't able to do it yeah, shout out Chris Richards for stepping in while Joachim Anderson's been out. I thought he's been doing a reasonable job to get more minutes out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then Mark Way, he, I think, has been another guy that it has impressed me for a majority of the season. He's he's a very good player. So, you know, it's going to take time. He's young as well. and Another guy Chelsea let go. That's right. Palace are just not there yet. They're... I don't really know if they're ever going to be one of those teams that are contending towards the eighth spot, which is where you want to be trying to get some European football money. But, you know, I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for, for Patrick Vieira. And I, I hope that they do figure it out because I don't want to see him lose a job, especially because I think he's, he is a competent manager. Yeah. Well, most of the teams around him have been hitting that red button. So I know, I know. And I'm sure it's, you know, uh, the palace board's not, all that far away. I believe it's Steve Parrish that is the owner there. So, okay, let's jump in uh, to Brighton versus Bournemouth. Not much to cover here outside of the, just another goal from Karu Matoma. This kid has been so good the past, you know, five weeks, six weeks since coming back from uh, international duty at the world cup with Japan, 20 shots for Brighton, six shots on target, 
Bournemouth managing just 12 shots and two shots on target. Brighton carried a majority of the possession. They lined up as they usually do, uh, with the exclusion of Dennis Undav, who was slotting in there at center attacking mid. We're going to see more of him now that Trossard is at Arsenal. Uh, Veltman dunk and a Stupignon across the back with Lamptey and Matoma playing wing back. It is mind blowing to me how much involvement Karu Matoma is able to achieve from the wing back position. I think that guy in pretty much any other system in the Prem is totally qualified to play left wing. He is so good. His feet are his feet are so quick. They they remind me of a young Ronaldo. He makes moves so rapidly and his finishing is is good enough. Like he's not scoring bangers. He's not scoring from outside the 18 every game, but he's he's very very solid and Brighton have been falling on him a ton. Bournemouth just not really up to the task here. They weren't able to stop him. And despite what feels like 500 transfers from Bournemouth, uh, the results pretty much stay the same here. Brighton taking all three points, hard fought battle late. Yeah, Matoma's made 15 appearances in the league this year, started eight games, five goals, one assist. Yeah, it's amazing. He's had three man of the match awards. So he's made a heavy impact since Trossard's moved on. Well, even when Trossard was there with his whole blow-up, he Mm -hmm. stepped in fine. Danny Welbeck is turned back into himself, a total ghost out there, barely touching the ball and and not really involved. Um, They they missed Evan Ferguson in this game due to the tackle he took against uh, Liverpool when Fabinho messed him up a bit. Um, So he's been recovering from that. That's not as bad as we think. Um, but yeah, they've done a really good job. We saw Billy Gilmore get a rare start in this game. Surprising, but they held the clean sheet, dominated the game, and Bournemouth continued to slide down. And they've given up 43 goals now in the league, so it's not looking very good. Yeah. Okay. Bring us next. into the next one, brother. Uh, we go to the the go- the game with the most goals. We got Aston Villa two, Leicester four. Yeah, Didn't banger. Yeah, we didn't see this one coming. I, I think we both took a draw in this game. So it was a, a really a really tight mid-table battle. Right off the right off the block, we saw Ali Watkins in the ninth minute get a goal. Instant reply three minutes later, James Madison with an assist from Iannaccio picking the ball up in the attacking end on a turnover. Then we saw a new signing for Leicester, Harry Sutar from Stoke, the Australian, scoring an own goal. On his debut, never like to see that. Uh, again, Leicester reply nine minutes later in the first half with a Kalechi Inacio goal this time, assisted from Barnes. And then right before the half ended, new signing Tete from Shakhtar, alone for the remainder of the year, scores the third for Leicester with another assist from Inacio. Um Villa make a pair of changes with Coutinho and Mourinho coming on for Ramsey and Digne. Didn't really see anything there. A big jostle the entire time. Well, Coutinho make... scored and then got varred off. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. I was. I didn't, I didn't watch the full game, but it was so there... a fire finish as well. But he got boned because the original ball was was played from an offside position or to an yeah. offside position. That's been his story since joining Villa. <laughs> I know. And then the 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 goal that sealed the game four two goes Dennis Pratt in the seventy and ninth. Raj gets a massive win here. Their first yeah. win in a, I think, since the break, uh, since before the break, even beginning of November, I think was their last win. Big, big win for Leicester. 
gets a little bit of separation from the drop, only three points, but gets a little bit of momentum going for them. Uh, and Aston Villa, that have been doing well, the, they had three wins in their last five. This is their first loss um, since a 3-1 defeat to Liverpool before the World Cup. So um, what did you think overall? Entertaining? Yeah, this was a really entertaining game. This was actually the game that was on USA, so it was the one that I had on at the bar. I, I'll usually bring my um, iPad with me. Like if if I know it's not going to be busy, I'll bring my iPad and just put it on like in the corner or whatever to watch whatever game is on Peacock, especially if Arsenal's playing. But this was the game that was on USA, and I actually really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was end to end, pretty much the entire game. Ollie Watkins scored that opener, and then Madison answered right back. It There was what felt like a million chances, but you look at the shots on target, there was only nine total shots on target. That doesn't tell the full story. Both of these teams were totally fanged up. They were ready uh, to rock, and Leicester just actually showed up for once. They looked really, really potent offensively, and... I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, my boy Kelechi back in here, he's he's banging in goals. He's got a goal and an assist in this one. Uh, I'm just, I'm asking for respect for him. And, yeah. and this was, you know, a true masterclass from Leicester. This is reminiscent of the old days when they used to actually score instead of just getting fucking dunked on and scoring own goals. So really good game from Leicester here. Villa probably a little bit hard done by, but uh, I do think that they've got a good manager in Unai Emery. He's got a system in play, and they'll move on from this one. This does happen even to teams that are figuring it out. Sometimes you just have to take a loss and, and move on. Leicester are in the top 10 when it comes to finishing this year. They've scored 32 goals. It's the best by far in the bottom half teams this year. So their problem is defensively right now, giving up 37 and. We saw the new signing Sutar and Christensen come in here for Leicester and Sutar with the own goal didn't help, but hopefully they can grow from this. Um, Going to have a tough matchup next game against Spurs, though. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, let's move on to the next game. We had... <clears throat> oh, I could pick a couple different ones here. Let's go to Wolves-Liverpool. Wolves, yeah. uh, you know, I have to take this one. Yeah, Wolves 3, Liverpool nil. An own goal from Joel Matip in the fifth minute started the scoring off for Wolves. Craig Dawson, ex-West Ham legend, scoring in the 12th, and then Ruben Neves putting the dagger in a woeful Liverpool side in the 71st. Despite Liverpool having plenty of chances to get goals of their own, they're unable to get anything to fall. Um, a very, very good performance from Jose Saw and the back line for Wolves. Just just really, really tough for Liverpool to break down. Salah, woeful. Gakpo still not involved. Darwin Nunez, complete fraud as we know. And then Naby Keita getting in there in midfield. I mean, he was he was not very good in this one. Wow, what a disaster for Liverpool. They held the possession, they had 60% of the ball, but they were just not able to get anything done in front of goal. This is a wolf side that are prone to conceding goals, uh, you know, to when it really matters, but they get an unbelievable three points here in essentially dominant fashion over a Liverpool side that are just in complete shambles, much to my own enjoyment. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the one thing I saw from this game was after Neves scored that third goal, he made it clear to the people in attendance that his celebration is that that's originally his celebration. Marcus Rashford stole it from him, yep. the whole finger to the to the to the temple. So mm-hmm. I agree with him. He's been doing that every time he scores a banger from like five years ago. So take that as you will. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Getting uh, Craig Dawson to score a goal and uh, his debut for the club is always nice. That guy's an absolute dog. Mm-hmm. Um, played for West Brom for a long time and their arch rivals with Wolves, which is interesting. But yeah, that with Liverpool speaking for them, that's the bigger headline here. Just the the poor form they've had. Only one point in their last four games. Um, even if you go back five, that that win against Leicester, you don't even feel it was t- truly deserved. The, the midfield, man, it's the midfield. It's the, the engine of the team, the heart of the team, and the pressing isn't there. They're not there to follow, and then they get caught out of positions and they leave their defenders out on islands a bit. So they just don't have the manpower. They don't have the legs to get the job done in a clock midfield that we're traditionally um, we're, we're, we're seasoned to see or we're, we, always are, we know what to expect from a clock team, and this just isn't it. And it's tough to watch at times. So they're really struggling in all these games, and there's nothing they can really do. I don't even know if if Van Dyke comes back, if it's going to make that big of a difference because he isn't playing the midfield. They didn't buy anybody in the in the January window in that midfield area. They said they didn't have the money. Maybe they're saving it for the summer for a big summer spree. Uh, they'll have to go all in on Jude, but they're in a similar situation to Chelsea where. They just need to do whatever they can to make it to the end of the season in a reasonable spot to save face, really. And I'm willing to say this. If if Liverpool lose their next game here to Everton, I think they may be on the verge for a Klopp exit. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I not a, so. I'm not 100% like behind that decision, but I can definitely see with how crazy this year's gone. I don't know. It's tough because his his CV in the club for it's eight years now since he joined. He's done a lot for this for the club in total. So I think it's the club is fully behind him leaving on his own terms. I would see, but I don't know, man. If if this keeps up, it's really hard to argue to keep him, right? I mean, Mourinho's done a lot for a lot of clubs that he's been at too. And look at him now. He's, he's never been at a club more than four years. I know, but he's won Champions League and he's won League oh, yeah, titles. And then when he gets figured out, he's gone. So, True. like, I feel like Klopp got figured out this year. And I mean, it's totally it's Liverpool's prerogative if they want to keep him just for you know just because he won them a Champions League and a League title, like whatever. Please feel free. But I think people have figured Liverpool out. Like they, they are. They are figured out that cross and inshallah bullshit is is over with, man. You can't do it anymore. Everybody's got you figured out. Everybody's got you pinned down. So if if they're gonna lose three nil to Wolves like this, and I know Arsenal just lost to fucking Everton, like I understand that, but I don't know, bro. Like it is not. It's not looking good for Liverpool. It's not looking good for Klopp. And I think it would make sense for him to just say like. Fuck it, I've done enough for you guys, and he's getting a lot of slander from the fans, by the way. And they're now they're slandering. He doesn't have any answers. I know he doesn't have answers, and it's it's like it doesn't totally come down to him either, because I'm not sure if FSG are offering him money to make transfers in the middle or the middle of winter for them to 
fix their midfield? Like, I can give you the answers. I know what's wrong with Liverpool. It's the midfield. It's really bad. Like, it's abysmal. And they're not, they didn't spend any money to fix it. They just said, fuck it, let's buy a new forward to replace Mane, who we let walk for fucking nothing. So, I don't know. I think this has been a complete mismanagement. I don't know if, if it all comes down to Klopp or what, but clearly what we can say is that Jurgen Klopp is not able to coach these players to a winning formula right now. And I think if you can't see that, then, you know, you're, you're maybe looking through it with rose-tinted glasses and just trying to remember, you know, how good Liverpool were two or three years ago. It's, it's not that team right now. It's very, very far from it. Yeah, well, if things work out with the Man City situation, Klopp will be a three to four time Premier That's League right. champ. <laughs> That's very true. So then they can't get rid of him. That's very true. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, okay. Brentford, Southampton, right? Yeah, another comfortable win for Brentford here. They continue to roll teams. Uh, that's four wins in the last five. Just absolutely pumping teams. Another 3 0 thumper. Uh, took a while for them to get going. First goal didn't come until the 41st minute from Ben Mee, who put his life on the line. Could have caught CTE from that goal with the head collision he had with the defender. Um, but gets a goal. And then Brian and Buemo in the 44th minute, assisted by Visa, doubles the lead before the half. Pretty much kills anything Southampton had going for them. Uh, and then Mateus Jensen on a cross header goal, assisted by Rico Henry, put the nail in the coffin. Nathan Jones, after the game, has in the past been blaming the players a bit and has made assumptions that he hasn't fully had his way with, with how things have been going and the players aren't going with his system yet. So I don't know what that talk is about, but it's not working. They only have... They only have one win in their last 10 games, all those being losses. I don't really see where the positives can come from for them. Uh, we may see a rare sacking, second sacking of a club, depending on where Southampton wants to go with this. But, yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, credit to Brentford. This Brentford team is really hard to play. Yeah, they really are. This This Brentford team is so serious, man. This is not a team. Arsenal beat them. I think that we played them twice. I think we beat them twice, but this is uh, not you guys, only you played guys once. Play them next. next game is you guys and them. Oh, uh, so we've only played them once, yeah. You guys uh, beat them, though. Yeah. This is just not a team that you want to come up against, honestly. They, they are so good. They get goals from everywhere. Pretty much everybody is a threat. Um, Tony's back in now. You have to face Embuemo and Wissa, who are both really pacey threats. Um, Josh De Silva has had amazing games this year. Same thing with Norgard. They get a goal from Jensen in this one. And then you have a back line who, despite like not being extremely impressive in terms of CV and on paper, are really, really good. Um, this is just not a team that you want to come up against. And Thomas Frank seems to have these guys in just an unbelievable system. They they play so consistently, regardless of who's in the team or who's taking a week off. And, you know, coming up against the Southampton side here who are pretty much in shambles every single game unless Ward-Prowse produces two bangers and an assist uh, is just, you know, you know they're going to get three points from this one. And I think uh, a really impressive win from Brentford, and they keep on chugging along. I think right now that Brentford side is in seventh place on 33 points. So 
six points out of fifth uh, where Tottenham sit, and only a point behind Brighton, who themselves have been having a really, really impressive season. All right. Um, you got the the lot you got Newcastle West Ham. Yeah, this this one was was wild. Um I told you guys the under two and a half was an absolute lock from hell. And True. it absolutely was. Newcastle continued their tough really tough run of goal scoring. They just have not been converting at the rate that they were earlier this season with the way that Almiron was playing. He seems a bit lost these days. Um, However, Callum Wilson did open the scoring in just the third minute. Newcastle got off to a flying start, but Lucas Paqueta, who has been a little bit underwhelming since moving to uh, London and playing for West Ham, scored in the 32nd. 1-1. No goals after that. West Ham only registered one shot on target, and it was the one that went in. Newcastle just registered two. So Newcastle were, you know, as we expected, uh, very sharp defensively. This feels like the first goal that they've conceded in six months. I know it's not, but man, they are just so good defensively. They are locked down. A West Ham side that struggles themselves to score goals was never going to pump more than two past this team even on their worst day. I think Newcastle will be a bit upset with only taking a point from this one, but West Ham did show up and fight a little bit, which is good to see. Uh, they're just they're going to have a really tough time if Bowen doesn't have a good game. He was a bit pedestrian in this one, and Mikel Antonio is just not going to be the guy for you. They have to make some transfers here. They have to try something else. I know they got Danny Ings, but that's not been good. Uh, I will say... I think West Ham are a better side when um, Thomas Suchek doesn't play. I think the experiment with Suchek is is over at this point. Yeah, I do. I just don't think he's he's sharp enough right now. And I don't know if some time on the bench will make him any better or not, but we only saw him in a substitute role now. This this West Ham side just, I think, lacks creativity, and uh, Thomas Suchek is not a player that, that screams creativity to me and I, I at one point we really sung his praises a lot but he's he's had a severe drop off since that one really really good season yeah two years ago he had like over 10 goals in the yeah league. it was amazing he, he was like scoring every other game from a cross um david Moyes is really stuck with this wingback formation so depending on how desperate they get they maybe they go four in the back and put three in the middle you see paqueta in a more advanced role with rice and suchek in support more supportive roles so um yeah i mean it's really tough for this team they're really struggling to score and that's the same thing that goes for newcastle they've only scored two goals now in their last five games i mean granted they haven't Mm -hmm. lost any of them but they sit fourth on 40 points 10 wins one loss but they have 10 draws so uh, it's really tough for me to dig at them because they're having a phenomenal year but if they want to lock this top four up, they they need to win more games. I mean, every other team in the top five only has three draws or less. Mm-hmm. Like it's really it. I think the fans overall are more happy that they're they have an attempt to win a trophy for the first time since like the sixties because they're in the Carabao Cup final against Man United uh, later in March. But I mean, if they want to lock up Champions League get a massive influx of money, get 
even more importantly, more influence to sign top-tier players to come to their club and improve the squad even further for Eddie Howe and staff to further progress their project there. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crucial they lock on here because Tottenham is picking up form. Massive win over City, uh, as well as a tight win over Fulham, two teams that are right up here. Brighton are picking up form. Brentford are right there, too. Give them a week or two. Fulham, if you want to include them. Uh, unless you want to take in that recent form, I mean, there are teams just as good as them that are that are nipping at their heels. So their scoring, it, their scoring is the problem. We've seen Almiron has heavily taken a cool down um, compared to that seven eight game stretch where he scored in every game. St. Max first appearance or first start, I should say, uh, in a long time due to um, Bruno Gimenez being out. Yeah. And Isak picked up a concussion in their midweek game in the second leg of the Car- or in the yeah, in the Carabao Cup against Southampton. So now it's all on Wilson after they loaned out Chris Wood to Forrest. And we know Wilson is heavily injury prone, so it's not looking good. I mean, we know they brought in Anthony Gordon. He made an appearance in here, did did minimal at minimal at best. So I, I don't know. I mean, they're really going to have to bank on their defense, which is ironclad, but you can't expect that for another 17 games. Yeah, that's that's very true. It always does come undone, right? Even the best teams, the best lockdown defenders at luck. Uh, like, have a bad been, day. Yeah, I know. They, have, they haven't caught there. There's been the only game this year that they've caught a bad break in is their only loss against Liverpool, that goal in the 98th minute. Yep, that's true. It is true. And of course, you know, it's against the, the cheesiest club in the league as well. Liverpool. Liverpool. That's right. <clears throat> okay. Um, bring us into our, you know, one of our last two games. You want me to? Yeah. I, I oh, had yeah, Newcastle West Ham, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll do the Forest Leeds one. Um, mm-hmm. Boring. Well, I this was heavily influenced by Leeds here. I think they really controlled the game, especially in the first half. They had a at least two to three chances um, that were should have been goals. The main one coming from a ball over the top from Ailing, cross in from Nianto, Sinistero skies it over the bar from eight out, eight yards out. I mean, they had so many chances. The in the fifth minute they had a clear chance from Nianto. Kaylor Navas made his debut in goal for Forest. You saw the quality he brought. A three-time Champions League winner with Real Madrid. You could see the pedigree with him coming in, how it affected his team and the coaching staff. Uh, what a difference he makes to this team, getting the, a debut clean sheet. Uh, momentum went a little, or I should say the favor went in Forrest's way. In the 30th, or no, sorry, in the 14th minute, uh, a free kick whipped in the box, cleared out poorly from Leeds. Brennan Johnson on the volley puts in a great goal, continues his form, picks up his fifth goal in the year in the league. But the build-up to earning that free kick they had that led to the goal, Brandon Johnson comes back from an offsides position uh, and then leads to him being fouled for the ensuing goal on the free kick. But VAR couldn't come in on that because it was not a goal. There was no goal on the play, so they can't overstep their boundaries with the current uh, the current wording of the law or the law itself. So that is a bit unfortunate for Leeds. Leeds did everything they could to get back in the game. It was just they could. It was the. It's been the 
the, the, the thorn in their side the whole year. It's getting the goal in those key minutes to get just jumpstart their momentum. And we saw Weston McKinney make his debut in the 60th minute, I believe, 57th, it says, for Mark Rocca. So he definitely saw he could keep up with the play in this league. He's always been a physical guy, uh, willing to go full 90 minutes. We saw in the World Cup he can play with the best of them. Uh, and linking up with his boy Tyler Adams in the middle, you know the chemistry's there. Yeah. Uh, they're so familiar with each other, it's easy. So I know that'll be successful in itself. Hopefully the new manager sees that as well as us. Uh, we didn't see Brendan Aronson get in this game, which was unfortunate. He wasn't yeah, he was appendicitis, actually. Oh, okay. Yep. He was he was just on the bench to make numbers then. Yeah, which is ins- I found that insane because it wasn't until after the game that I saw that he had appendicitis, and I was like, well then. Like, how is he well enough to be listed on the bench? Maybe it was just for numbers, yeah. Yeah, just just since they extended the the, the game day roster from 18 to 20, he's just right. there to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really tough for Leeds. It really felt bad. We saw a new boy, uh, Rutter, get a run up front for Bamford, who had an opportunity and missed it. Jack Harrison didn't have his best day. I already mentioned Sinistera missed a pair. And ultimately, it led to Jesse Marsh getting the sack, which... I, when I said in the group chat, I didn't see that coming. Like, I genuinely didn't see that coming. I mean, they just backed him in the window. He brought in three more players that fit his system. So now this team is has Jesse's fingerprints all over it. And now yeah. it's a reset again. So it's really tough for Leeds. Now they're, they're in 17th, only above Everton by goal differential. And for Forrest, I mean, they're absolutely flying. They've picked up. 11 points in their last five games, which for a preseason favorite to go down is incredible. Yeah. So, and they play so much better at home. I already mentioned that they only have the one win on the road this year and have only scored three goals. Um, So home field advantage is extremely important for this team. Yeah. I want to quickly say, like, I, this Brendan Johnson kid might actually be good. Like, he might actually be sound. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched him track that ball. So Navas got the assist on the first goal, the only goal. It was, did he? Yeah, Kilo Navas did. The ball was punted up, and somehow the, this kid tracks it. He finds it and finishes. I just don't, like, I just don't get it. I have no idea how, one, they were able to get Keeler Navas, still still kind of blowing my mind a little bit. They are able to acquire him on loan. First goal, he gets an assist. Unreal. And then stands on his head, like, for a majority of the game. It should be said, like, Leeds made it a little easy on him because they missed a couple of sitters, but Nottingham Forest somehow getting three wins in their last five Two draws, the other results. They've picked up so many points in the past five games. And now, at this point, you're looking at them and you're looking at Palace and you're like, I don't know. This Forest team could totally be better than them. They might be better than Villa. If they're able to actually perform at this level for the next five weeks, Like we're, we're going to see them shoot up this table. And I, I am very, very shocked. But I think Brennan Johnson... It's a little bit. It's kind of like shades of uh, of Dan James when we saw him play. They're both Welsh. They they're both they yeah. both play forward. But um, 
Brennan Johnson, I think, has a little bit more of a complete bag, and I'm willing to to say this this kid might be legitimate. Yeah, he, yeah he's they, definitely somebody good to have at Forest because they're they're still a, a small club at this point right now, despite having two Champions League trophies. Yeah, Kaylor Navas is the first player to be at this club that has earned more Champions League trophies than the club itself. Yep. So that's a stat in itself. And Johnson last year in the championship earned them so many points to their promotion. He had 18 goals and 10 assists. And yeah, I mean, in that five-game stretch we keep talking about, they picked up a point against Chelsea, and they got a big win over Leicester in there, uh, as well as beating Southampton, just the beat Leeds, and they drew Bournemouth uh, the previous match. So mm-hmm. their matches aren't going to get any easier. This is a fortunate stretch. They've had a matches go in their favor. So uh, they've only scored 17 goals, which is the third lowest, but it seems like Steve Cooper's found his system and found his guys to fit in it. And unfortunately, I think the highest paid player at the club, Jesse Lingard, is not in those plants anymore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Let us jump in to the final game of the week. One that is extremely important for me. Uh, yeah, bailed you out. Tottenham won, Manchester City nil. Yeah, Harry Kane's still an Arsenal, Arsenal fan at heart. Um, Harry scored in the 15th minute, one of their own, or so I hear. Uh, and then City just unable to respond, really. They had a couple of chances uh, throughout the game. Holland and Alvarez playing together up top. We haven't seen that all that much. Grealish died, um, got absolutely mangled. We got a red card from Romero in the 87th. Riyad Mahrez uh, had a run in there at right wing. This team has been witnessing a bit of uh, in and out. KDB left on the bench again. But when we saw him come in, he was... The game just changed so much. I think that's when when City are dangerous is when you know you have to mark every single ball that De Bruyne plays and just left on the bench again for Bernardo Silva, which blows my mind. But a really, really good performance from Tottenham and especially to Emerson Royale, (laughs) which uh, I don't find myself saying much. I think he is absolute shit. Um, But, you know, he had a really good game here. So, you know, what do you think? I'll be right back, by the way. Yeah, there's a whole lot of questions being raised about City. The timing doesn't help with the investigations that we've touched on at the top of the show. Um, There's a lot of drama around the club. Now, on the field, there's talks of them not properly using Holland in the best ways with the the service just isn't there. I think Kyle Walker post-match was saying that. Uh, when Holland is scoring, it's all about him and how well he is at scoring. And when it's not going his way, uh, meaning he's not scoring, the service just isn't there. So it's never his fault. Um, not not being a slight to him from Walker's perspective, but it just make it just makes sense. And ha- not having De Bruyne in your starting lineup, the number one guy that does the best to get your main man the service he needs to score. Uh, it's a little bit questionable. Um, it's one of those things we've seen Pep in the past with his lineups make be costly before the game even starts. We've seen this in the Champions League final two years ago against Chelsea. Him not starting a defensive mid uh, cost him the final there. Uh, we saw it in this game. We've seen it in examples in other games as well. So it's interesting there itself. I think not having Foden 
being out with the injury for longest time, it seems, it affects the team as well. Grealish can only do so much um, with his abilities. Foden brings a little bit of something else to the table. I like Mara's out on the right. He and himself is a special player. Um, I just think Grealish is holding him back a little bit. Uh, and then, we, of course, the Jao Cancelo stuff going on with him being loaned out. Um, having to play Rico Lewis instead is tough. He He's a great player. An 18-year-old player playing in one of the top sides in Europe is incredible, but he has his limits. And we haven't even touched on Ruben Diaz, the best defender last year in the league. Can't even get a sniff in the lineup, whether it's due to his injury or... Pep having confidence in Ake and Akanji, who have done a remarkable job in their time uh, in front of Laporte and Diaz. And John Stones is out right now for the month due to injury. So yep. it's tough. The Just the faith in the players that he has right now it just isn't working. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, they have two losses in their last four. One of those in that Manchester derby with the whole offsides decision on Bruno's goal controversy behind that um but yeah it's the talks all around the service to holland not being the best and i think when you're talking when you made the point of teams have found out liverpool a bit um maybe teams have found out how to defend holland in a high percentage way just yeah you just block. man marked the shit out of them yeah, and they have a lower block so there's less space in behind it seems that even city themselves with the style of play when they're high percentage cross opportunities they don't hit them they're so used to the false nine system of just beating teams with a thousand cuts rather than just put it up for your playmaker we see this in the nfl i mean jamar chase is double covered joe burrow's still throwing to him because yeah. he knows he's going to get the ball so why not for holland the guy you're paying this guy all that money you're saying he's one of the best in the world just throw it at him and let him fucking do it. The guy scores with Zlatan-esque finishes. Just throw it up. Yeah, I know. I hear you, dude. I'm with you. So, yeah, I don't know. That was that was a very, very, very important win for Spurs and a very important win for me personally because of course. I don't. I just don't see Spurs. Like, Spurs are going to drop another couple games. You never know when City are going to be able to, when City are going to, like, figure it out and then just be back to being unstoppable. Um, so I think now at this point as an Arsenal fan, I'm, I'm worried about United more than I am worried about Arsenal because Newcastle are going through their own issues right now with not being able to score goals. Um, so that I've put them on the back burner. I'm not sweating Tottenham. I just don't think that they have what it takes to make a run at the title city. I'm still worried about, and then United I'm, I'm extremely worried about because, they have yeah. been unstoppable outside of that loss against us. Uh, and they look, you know, they look sensational. Yeah. City have already passed their total losses from last year. Last year they had three. This year they yeah. already have four. And we're just a little bit over halfway. Yep. So we'll have to see how all that pans out. It's, we're, we're really going to have to pay attention um, to all of this, this, you know, uh, the repercussions, potential repercussions that they may face that's going to be important as well okay um that is your recap let us move into the predictions for this week we have united up against leeds tomorrow at 3 p.m uh i'll hand it off to you matt since you let us off 
Yeah, so quick recap on our records last week. Once again, bad beats. Evan led the way four and six. Zach mm. and I both went three and seven. Uh, overall records, Evan's in front, 101 to 108. I'm at 99 to 110, and Zach is 100 to 109. Um, for this first game, uh, well, United and Leeds play each other back-to-back times in this predictions we're doing. So if you want to do, we can pick both games right here. Um, the first game is going to be at home for United. In this one, I have United winning. Uh, so does Zach. And then in the reverse fixture uh, on Sunday, with which is going to be at Ellen Road for Leeds, I'm going to go with a draw. I really think this Leeds team, even without Marsh, is still going to play high tempo, high energy. I think they have the dogs to... Definitely earn some type of points in these two fixtures, especially with Casemiro and Eriksen out. I think the middle of the field is wide open to take. So I think the first one's going to be a United win, and the second one's going to be a draw, and Zach's taking United in both. Yeah, I'm going to take United in both as well. They just seem unstoppable right now. I can't see Leeds being the team uh, that provides them a roadblock. I think there are fixtures within the next five weeks or so where it's possible we see United slip, but... I, I just can't see see it being against Leeds right now with all of the nonsense that they're dealing with uh, behind the curtain. All okay, right. and then up next, I'll take this one. We have West Ham uh, versus Chelsea, Saturday, February 11th at 7.30 a.m. No Thursday games, no Friday games for us this week, unfortunately. Uh, I am going to take Chelsea in this one. They are extremely due for a win, and I think they get one here against a West Ham side who are just not up to the task of scoring goals. And I pray to God that we don't see another nil-nil draw because I will claw my eyes out. That's where I want to go. I want to pick a draw. I'm just going into the more pessimistic side of things, but there's always some part of me that's dragging me back into the delusional side. So I'm going to go with Chelsea too. So is Zach. Okay. Um, and then we have Fulham versus Nottingham Forest up next. Who you got in this one? Because this, this is an interesting game. I think it. I think Forest being on the road makes it easy for me to pick Fulham. Fulham, like I mentioned, haven't won a game in their last three. Uh, and those three games, they came up against Spurs, Newcastle, and Chelsea. So I think this is going to be a bounce-back game against a Forest team they came up with that is significantly on paper worse than those other three teams I mentioned. So I think this is a bounce back game for Fulham and Zach is going with Fulham as well. All right. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll go with Fulham too. I, I, um, I was initially thinking maybe I'll take a draw, but Nottingham Forest the past couple of weeks, I don't want to be like coerced into taking Nottingham Forest, just looking at the, the paper. So I, I will go with Fulham. They have a better track record this year. And I think, they do have a better team, plus the games at Craven Cottage, so I'll stick with them too. Okay. Uh, Leicester City versus Tottenham up next. Uh, wow, this one's interesting, but I do think Tottenham are able to get a result here. Leicester City with an impressive 4-2 victory over Villa last week, but Tottenham with an even more impressive victory over uh, Manchester City. I will take Tottenham. I think they can win this game, and Leicester City are still woeful defensively despite a splurge of offensive you know, prowess last week. So I will go with, with Tottenham Hotspur here. Yeah, Zach agrees with you. I think this is a prime letdown game for Spurs after such a big high. 
Uh, we the, Actually, the five times that City has played at Tottenham in their new stadium, Tottenham has won all five games, and they have not conceded a goal to Man City. So I think that's a little thing in itself. But this Leicester team I'm having more confidence in. I really like the sign of Tete. Uh, for the first yeah. time since Mars has been there, it seems like he has similar abilities, much closer than anybody else they've had out there. And with that one-two punch of Barnes and him on the sides of Madison behind whoever plays up front, I'm sure. I'm assuming it's going to be Iannaccio after that last game. I think this could be a really high-scoring game, but I'm going to go with the draw. Okay. Um, then we have Arsenal versus Brentford up next. Who you got in this one? It's really tough. Um, they Arsenal beat Brentford at the beginning of the year 3-0. William, William Saliba scored uh, a banger from outside the box. This was when the Saliba chants were starting and I was fully bought in on him. It's a much different story now with how Brentford's form's been in. Arsenal have a big wake-up call after that Everton loss. It's at, it's at the Emirates. They have not lost all year there. They have drawn. So I'm going to go with the draw, and so is Zach. All right, I'll go with Arsenal then. Uh, this is a spot for us to bounce back. This is a spot for us to remember how to play offense, how to score. I think we can do it here despite going against a extremely solid Brentford back line. I can just they're, they're definitely one of the most physical teams. Yeah, they are. Um maybe we'll get a pen or something. I don't know. It's not gonna be a route, like don't get me wrong, but I could see us scoring two goals here, probably a two one here if I had to guess. So I will take Arsenal. Uh, uh up next, Crystal Palace versus Brighton. This one, interesting. Brighton, I've sung their praises a lot this year. They're in a great spot in the table. Palace, on the other hand, headed down the opposite side of the table. This one is fairly straightforward for me. I will take Brighton. Uh, there are thoughts in the back of my head that are telling me to, to take a draw, but I'm going to stick with Brighton. I think uh, they're just a better team this year, and they should be able to get it done here, especially if Matoma continues his sensational run of form. Yeah, we Wilfred Zaha is going to miss this game as well. We should see the return of Joachim Anderson, their main center back in there for Palace. Uh, Zach's going to go with Palace here in a, in a bit of an upset at home. And I'm going to go with a draw. I think it'll be close. I think Brighton are due for a bit of a, a little bit of a, a let off. And I think Palace can get a little bit of a squeaker in the end. Okay. Um... All right, Southampton versus Wolves up next. Who do you have here? I have Wolves. Yeah, all right. Southampton are the worst team at home this year. Uh, the manager is a little bit out of his depths. Zach's going to go with Wolves as well. Yeah, you could pen me down for Wolves. Um, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm going to try not to think about this one too much because that's when things get airy. Wolves were really good last week against Liverpool, and Southampton are certainly not up to that standard even though Liverpool have been playing like shit. So I will take Wolves. They should win this one. Bournemouth versus Newcastle up next. Bournemouth are bottom of the barrel. Garbage. Newcastle, uh, despite their tough, tough, tough goal-scoring problems they've been dealing with, I think, win this game. Yeah, I'm going with Newcastle as well, and so is Zach. Okay. Leeds United versus Man United, we already got. And then we have Manchester City versus Aston Villa. Who do you have here? I have Man City. We saw the last game uh, at the end of last season. Villa went up 2-0. Uh, 
Man City had to fight back to win the title in the end. I definitely think with Unai Emery, it'll be a much tougher game uh, on top of what that last result ended up being. But I do think Man City can get the win. It's really tough not to pick him and pick City and Erling Holland. I don't see them losing two games in a row, which would be catastrophic to their title chase. So I think they get a win. Zach's going to go with a draw. Yeah, I'm going to go with City too. Pardon the voice crack. I do think that City have to win this game. They're under the microscope right now. They just had a really tough loss against Tottenham. They know they have to get three points out of this one if they want to keep their title hopes alive. Uh, well, obviously, they're very alive regardless of if they win or not, but they still have to close the gap against Arsenal. I'm sure Pep has them on task if he's not already packing his suitcases. Um, I'm I'm going to just pretend that they're not getting investigated, and I think that City could win this game, all of the nonsense aside. <clears throat> Yep, and then the big one. Yeah, the big one. Uh, Liverpool versus Everton, the Merseyside Derby on Monday, February 13th. Cannot wait for this game. This should be a really entertaining watch. It's going to be a bloodbath. Sean Dyche is going to be at the helm. This one's at Anfield. Everybody's taking Liverpool. The draw percentage is about 21%. I have never seen a game where I thought a draw was more evident than this one. Yeah, see, like that's where my gut went instantly. Yeah, it was nil nil earlier this season. I like it again. Yeah, we know Everton's going to be time wasting from the start. We know they're going to be robust in the back. It's going to be tough. We've seen set pieces have been a really big weak spot against Liverpool, especially in that Brentford game earlier this uh, back in January. So I, I, that's where I give Everton positives. But the only thing I give a positive to Liverpool is at home. The record at home is good. They've only lost once at home this year. So I, I'm going to go with Liverpool to win. And Zach's going to take Everton. Yeah. All right. Cool. So we're all spread apart on that one. I have draws. Zach has Everton and you have Liverpool, huh? I don't feel good about that. I know. I wouldn't feel good about it either. You're riding with it the might... pops on this one. It might be on the day, like what you do. You you say one thing on here, and then you bet a little bit differently. It might be mm-hmm. one of those type of things. Well, I'll, I'll text you in the morning and see how you feel. I have to about see it. the lineups. All right, fair enough. We'll be we'll stay posted on one football. Um, okay, guys, that's everything because I think we're gonna try and record uh, the next episode. Go over you know everything that happened before we do a prediction on Arsenal Man City. We'll aim oh, for another boy. Tuesday one. Oh my god. Yeah, Arsenal need 3 points going into that game for sure. Um I'm very worried about that game. But that's everything from us. This one was about an hour and a half because we had to go over all of City's bad deeds. Um and then of course our fallen soldier Jesse. So thank you guys for listening to this long one. Uh, make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find all past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Again, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we will see you next week.